We just finished up a six-week series uh, entitled Choices, and that was about foundational choices that we make that are essential to us being followers of Jesus Christ. And if we're, we're honest, we know that we don't always make good choices, right? If we're honest, we know that our behavior isn't always God-honoring behavior. We just started a season called Lent, and the Easter series is going to be entitled Repentance to Renewal, and it's acknowledgement of that. That sometimes we don't make good choices, sometimes we don't do what it is that God desires us to do and be who it is that He desires us to be. Lent, Easter, was a season that started this past Wednesday. Maybe the only thing you remembered about this past Wednesday is that it was Valentine's Day, but it was also Ash Wednesday, the start of the Easter season, the start of Lent, a 40-day period that moves from Ash Wednesday all the way to Easter, and it's about repentance, it's about renewal. It's about being changed and transformed, seeking God to have a heart change. That word repentance, kind of churchy, isn't it? Repentance. It's not a word that we use, and I would submit to you that we use often enough. I mean, think about it. If people ask you what it is that you're up to or what maybe some of your plans are, you could list all kinds of things, right? Ah, I plan on going to the game or I'm going to head over here and do this or do that. I got a project I'm working on. Maybe you relate it to some some church things. Oh, I'm planning on going to worship this week or I'm going to go spend time in, in life group. How often do we say, oh, I'm busy working on repenting? Not too often, I don't think. Something that God desires out of us and wants us to think about. This thing called Repentance, And just to be clear about what that means, I want to give to you a, a definition of repentance as it relates to the context of our relationship with Jesus Christ, with God. There it is, repentance. Words are on the screen. To feel such a, a strong regret, remorse, or sorrow to God for our sin that we change our behavior and make what is wrong within us right. Look closely at those words. To feel such a strong regret, remorse, or sorrow to God for our sin that we change our behavior and strive to make what is wrong right within us. That's what repentance is all about. It's just not the feeling, but it's a feeling that's strong enough to compel us to not even think about change, but to change to be someone different. And that starts with something called humility. Humbly acknowledging before God the need for change and humbly acknowledging that we have to do that through his word and through his spirit. That's what one's designed to do. And it all begins, again, with humbly acknowledging the need 
for change and transformation in our hearts and in our lives. I hope that that already um, God is stirring your heart, raising up some questions or some thoughts. I hope that that would only continue and get on a roll as we open up his word. Some words about repentance and humility coming to us out of James 4. I'm going to read for you verses 6 to 10. Hear the living word of God. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace, grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. and He will lift you up. Hmm. I, I have to acknowledge right off the start, when you start talking about humility and you start talking about sin and repentance, it's not an incredibly popular subject. But it certainly is a very necessary one if we want to have any understanding of what it means to be in a right relationship with God. And again, getting into the Easter season, it begins with looking for change, looking inside the heart, recognizing that maybe, just maybe, not everything's right. Maybe, just maybe, there's some things that we can change about who it is that we are to walk closer with God and to have our steps be his steps and our life be dedicated and following him and what that looks like. This first verse, verse 6, has at the end of it these words, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? I think of that word um, pride. And if you were to read the first five verses of chapter 4, it says a lot about that, about pridefulness and selfishness and what that looks like. And then we get to this verse, and I just want to unpack it for a minute because I think it might be a little confusing when we think about the word proud or when we think about the word pride. Because is it not true that sometimes we think of being proud or we think of pride in a good way, right? Have you ever said to somebody, I'm proud of you? Have you ever said to somebody, you should be proud about that? Of course you have. And so what are you saying in that moment when you're, when you're acknowledging that or if you feel proud? Hopefully it's in a good way. It's a celebration of an accomplishment, an event, or an effort, right? We, we teach our children to do what? To take pride in their work, to take pride in their efforts. We want them to do a job that's done well and has effort in it, that creates a good result. That's true. But then there's an unhealthy pride. When does that start to occur? When does pride stop being a good thing and start being a not good thing, a bad thing, something that God opposes? 
I, I think we know. We stop and we think about it. It's when that pride inside of us starts to move God out of the place that he should occupy in our hearts and in our lives. When there starts to become this, this unhealthy focus on self, when we start to take credit for the things that we do and who it is that we are, the things that we accomplish, rather than giving God the glory and the honor for it. There's a couple of different definitions for pride, and here's one of them. And this is the one that, that hits the nail on the head when God is saying he opposes the proud, somebody who, who has this in their heart, and this is who they're being. Here's what it says, pride, definition, an un an excessively high opinion of one's self. Conceit. You know that word, right? Conceit. Loving one's own qualities and accomplishments. That's the definition of pride that stands in the way of a healthy relationship with God. And when he speaks about opposing the proud, that's what he's speaking about. When who it is that you are begins to displace in your life who it is that he is and desires to be. We've all heard it. We've all seen it. We have words to describe it. People who are boastful, people who are braggarts, people who shower themselves with wonderful words and accolades. You get the idea. We know what that looks like. We've heard it. We've been around it. And if we're honest, we've probably done it ourselves, right? You know, I, I don't know about you. That's one of the things that I really struggle with is someone who's stuck on themselves or all about them. We can use that word conceited, I think. It's really hard to deal with. We, we think that, and maybe you're like me, you just struggle with that, and it's kind of, we would call it, or the English boorish behavior. But it says here, this is what I want you to focus on, this is, it says here that God opposes it. Why is that so? Why is it that God opposes the proud, people who function that way? I don't think it takes too much to unpack it and to understand it. If you were to look, look at, at verse 5, it would kind of give a little bit of an allusion to that. It, it says this, Do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he causes to live inside of us envies intensely? So think about this. If, you, if you're proud in an unhealthy way and you're giving credit to self— and you're a follower of Jesus, that means you have the Holy Spirit inside, right? And you begin to take credit and in charge of things, and yet you have God himself living inside. A God who, who wants you to give glory to him, who calls you and commands you to give glory to him. That, that's what it means in terms of envies intentionally. Do you remember the third commandment? Do you remember the words there in terms of what it says? I'll help you. I'll give you a little refresher. Exodus 25, third commandment, speaking about other gods. Do not bow down to them and do not worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am who? Am a jealous God. 
He's a, he's a God who wants us to live our lives to give him glory and honor. Jealous in the most holy of ways. He's God understands and knows that if our presence, his presence is in our hearts and our lives, that we're on the right track to living the best life ever. Yeah, I know I've shared that a lot. And the best life ever doesn't come when we're in control. The best life ever doesn't come when we're calling the shots. The best life ever doesn't come when it is that we're being proud and we're taking credit for all of the things that happen and go on in our hearts and in our lives. See, God begins to get shoved off to the side. He's no longer needed. Why? Because you're it. It's it's a real easy thing to cross that line. A healthy sense of pride and a dishonoring sense of pride. And we need to be acutely aware of that. And humility has everything to do with it. To begin to acknowledge who it is that God is and the things that He desires to do in our hearts and in our lives, and to give Him credit for each and everything. I'll tell you that it happens in a real sneaky way in our hearts and in our lives. Little things, lots of ways. And you know, when God speaks about not bowing down to or worshiping other gods, he understood something when he said that, I'm a jealous God, and then he speaks here in James 4. There's something he knows about us hopefully we're honest with in terms of our, our own being and who it is that we're living life as. See, he knows that the greatest idol, the greatest God that we have in our hearts and in our lives is us. That's the one we struggle with the most. The one that we worship more than anything. I'd submit to you, just look at our world and our culture if you're not sure if that's true or not. What does it mean to acknowledge God and to live humbly before Him? And I used to have a professor um, in seminary, and I, we would eat lunch and have coffee together with faculty and stuff, and one day we're eating, first time I sat at his table, and he's praying he asked if he could offer prayer up for the table and he starts praying and he he starts praying he so just for example i think he had an orange that day and he's he's thanking god for it growing and he's thanking god for the farmers and he's thanking god for the people at the store and i mean it was this long prayer about an orange and i'm sitting there thinking holy cow i hope he doesn't get to the meat you know but then every time I sat at his table, that's what he did. And I, I thought it was a little bit weird, right? Then I started to realize, see, he, he knows it's not because of himself that he's eaten that orange or anything else. He's, he's so attuned with God's goodness and God's grace and bringing those things before him and into his life. He's just humbly acknowledging who it is that God is. And the role that was played in every single part of bringing that orange or whatever it is that he was eating before him so he could eat it. 
light bulb went on. I changed my thoughts about how we prayed. You know, it's a great example of giving God credit and glory for everything. In 1 Samuel 17, David, the one that God called a man after his own heart, I've used his example before. And, and I love this passage about getting ready to go fight Goliath and then fighting Goliath because of what it is that David says and the glory that he gives to God in it all. And I want you to think about that for a minute. So maybe you know who David is at this time. He's just a young man, maybe 15, 16. Out there, there's that big giant who's been a warrior and, and slain all kinds of people, brutally killing them on the battlefield. David pipes up and says, I'll go fight him. And here's what he says to Saul. This, this is the difference maker right here. And if you think about your life and you think about who it is that you're giving credit to in it all, just listen to what it is that David says. He's speaking to Saul and he says this, verse 37, The Lord, the Lord, who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Did you hear what he didn't say? I'm strong enough, I'm wise enough, I'm skillful enough. No, he says, the Lord will deliver me. And then he goes down and he, and he goes down into the valley and he's face to face with this giant and this is what he says to him. I love it. After he gets ridiculed and mocked by the Goliath, he says, I'm going to tear you apart. This is what David says to him. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with your sword and your spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down. He goes on to say in, in verse 47, All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give me into your hands. I love it. He will give you into my hands. Whoops. Yeah. But do you see what he did? All credit, all glory to God. It's, it's about what he could have said and what maybe he would have did but he doesn't. I think two of the words of Romans 12, 3 says this. For by the grace given you, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and accordant to the measure of faith that God has given you. Humility. Stop and ask yourself, what are the things that you give God credit for in your life? What are the things that you take credit for? The car you drive, the house you live in, the job you have, the education? It's so easy, isn't it? To start to take credit for the things that we enjoy and that we're blessed with. Even our personalities or our wit or our intellect, whatever it might be. The God who gave us all those things in us together, Scripture says, Psalm 139, 14, fearfully and wonderfully. It's really easy to do that. But 
glorifying God. Living a life that's right with him. Renewal takes place when a heart becomes humble. When a heart acknowledges who it is that God is. And it's tied to submission. Submission is a partner of humility. Verse 7 says this, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Humility, submission, lordship. And and, and that's a, a critical part. It's giving up control in your heart and in your life. Simple thing. Easy, not at all. I think of the last part of that verse. Submit yourself to the Lord and resist the devil. How do those two things go together? Well, the one thing that Satan wants you to do is not to submit to God. If he knows that you're the one who's making the decisions in your life, if he knows that you're the one that's in control, he is licking his chops. Because truth be told, we are no match for Satan. Not at all. And if he can get you to believe that you're responsible for anything good in your life, he's got you right where he wants you. And all the things that go along with it, it seems like you're rising and all this. It's a fast, slippery slope. Slide down spiritually. And yet it happens. It's so easy. It's a culture we live in, right? A culture that's about me. I mean, I'm entitled to everything, right? I deserve everything, right? I should get this. I should get that. I'm the one who's done the hard work. I'm the one who deserves this or that because I'm diligent. I've got brains or whatever it is that you would put out there. And it doesn't take long, and we're there. I mentioned a lot of times about the accession to culture, and it's true in the church. And that the secession is, is all about that, and then it reaches a point, and it has in our culture with secular realism, that, that we, we start to think so much about ourselves, self-absorption, self-behavior, that nothing that God says matters. We've completely shoved them right out of the picture. And it's the world that we live in. People begin to believe and understand that they have moral superiority and more wisdom and more power than God. Think of truth. You see where this goes? God doesn't want you to go there. He wants you to know that's what he opposes. That he just wants you to submit. 
To open up your heart, let him lead you to a place that is good and great. To experience those things, not only in this life, but then eternally. It's one of the things that I struggle with so much in terms of of morally and ethically, truth that, that is defined by a human being, whether it's an expert or an individual person. Somebody who can't even put a petal on a flower, let alone put the stars in the sky, somehow knows better than God? Really? Think about that when you think about opinions and you think about truth. It, it, it literally is a no-brainer. But what's the problem? The problem is pride. Humility. Humility. That's where following God, being in a right relationship with Him starts. I is in the middle of pride. We're our own worst enemies when it comes to living a life that's right. Letting God control our hearts and control our lives. We just have to be honest about that. Thomas Aquinas in the 13th century identified something called the seven deadly sins. And he said the first and the chief of them is pride because it affects all the others. That's true. When you begin to think that you know it all, God doesn't matter anymore. You don't need him in your life. And you certainly aren't going to listen to what he tells you to do and who it is that he calls and desires you to be. And that word repentance is so important. Repentance to renewal. Just in terms of what's been shared, you look at the word of God here and you start to look at verses 8 to 10. And you recognize that Repenting of pride brings humility and renewal. Kind of a, a few hard verses. Wash your hands, you sinners. We don't like to be called sinners. That's who we are. We just don't like to be called that. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Do you like to be called double-minded? I don't think so. I don't. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Who likes doing that? Wouldn't you rather be laughing and celebrating? Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Holy cow! Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. See, all that is a part of getting to where we would hope we would be in life. The joy, the goodness, the celebrations. All of the things that God desires for us, too. But if things aren't right, something has to change. That's what that's all about. I, I love, you already mentioned David, I love Psalm 51. David gets caught in adultery, right? Commits a terrible sin. And then he goes and he prays before God. And he opens up his heart. Psalm 51 is a beautiful passage about repentance. 
He humbles himself before the Lord. There's all kinds of examples and passages of that all throughout Scripture about acknowledging who it is that God is and the need for his presence and to recognize his power and his righteousness. Jesus had such a conversation too. Do you remember it? The one with Pilate? John 19. And Jesus isn't being prideful, but somebody else is. And Jesus, is, what he could have did and what he did do are, are, is really compelling about his humility before his heavenly father. So Pilate's continually talking to him. Jesus is saying nothing. Pilate wants him to, to, to actually say, well, yeah, I'm the king of the Jews, et cetera, et cetera. He doesn't go there. He comes back in and he says this, verse 8. He went back inside the palace. He's speaking to Jesus. He says, where did you come from, he asked Jesus. But Jesus refused to give him an answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize, here it is, don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? Self-absorption. Your life is in my hands. I have the capability to kill you right now or set you free. And you're not even going to speak to me? Jesus answered, you'd have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. Glorified his heavenly father in that moment. In a moment. When his life was at stake, he knew the will of his heavenly Father. How about you and us together? What is the will of the heavenly Father for us? What's his role in our life? Who's, again, calling the shots? Humility. The beginning of repentance and the beginning of renewal. Lent is a time to really focus on God and on the change that we need in our hearts and in our lives. to celebrate grace, to celebrate his presence in our hearts and in our lives. I want to ask you um, to take a few minutes before I close in prayer and pray yourself. Maybe it'll be a time of confession for you. Maybe it'll be a time to acknowledge, hey, God, I've been controlling this situation. I need to give it over to you. Whatever it means, take a few minutes and do that. And I hope, indeed, that it doesn't end there. That whatever it is that you pray about, remember that definition of repentance? They have such a strong feeling in your heart to be right with God that you change your behavior. 
and what's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of his presence in your heart and your life in that particular area. So will you pray with me? just through this time called Lent but each and every day might the confession continue might a desire oh God to simply be full of you to have you fill us to overflowing be alive and well might we be hungry for it might we desire it might we be thirsty for it Lord to simply pick up our feet to live a life for you and Lord contrary to what the world says it's so much better than the one that comes from being in control ourselves so Lord we pray for your lordship we pray for the leading of your word and your truth to come alive to dictate not only what it is that we do but of course oh God who it is that we are who it is that we choose to be. Create in us, O God, humble hearts. Lift us up before you in your holy and your precious name we pray it.